And in advertising, we have paid media. We buy space to get our message across. And our way is very intrusive. And people know it's an ad. And now we're having to count pennies, basically. I think it's very, very hard to make money in advertising. And what I discovered is that racism and classism are very intertwined. They go together. And so I call it decolonizing advertising. So what I'm looking at and I'm analyzing now is where in our advertising process does this racism and classism begin? We have to do our part. We know the world is changing. We've seen George Floyd, which is what you talked about, and you you recognize that George Floyd didn't just happen in the U.S. I was in Britain, and it was there. There was uh, protests there. It was in other countries around Europe. So it is a global conversation, yes. Welcome to Loud and Clear, the podcast for people who give a shit about advertising. I am your host, Francisco Cárdenas, Principal of Digital and Social Strategy at the Dallas, Texas-based multicultural advertising agency, Lerma. If this is the first time you listen to us, this podcast aims to bring a different perspective into the marketing and advertising business by debunking or reframing anything that we've settled to understand as the norm. Discussing topics from trends to creative to media and technology, or even challenging the business model we currently operate on. Today, we have with us a special guest from Mexico, Canada, the UK. He's been in many places. This is Sir Carl W. Jones. Carl is an award-winning international creative director, and I quote, mentor of all that is great about advertising. He has worked in Canada, UK, and Mexico, as I already said, when he has spent at least half of his career, and that is Mexico. Carl has too many accolades to mention during this time, over 500. Just to name a few, he's, he's won Cannes, Clio's, Effie's, The One Show. Anything that you creators out there uh, are dying to get, probably Carl has already done it. He was also the first art director to preside the Mexican Creative Circle, founded by a, a very dear person of mine, Enrique Givert. He has now taken an academic approach to his career, and he'll tell us a little bit more about that in a second, working with the University of Westminster as a lecturer, and he's doing an investigation on how racism makes itself present in advertising, particularly in Mexico. Carl. I already told you, but I am so thankful you're here all the way from Mexico. I think you're killing two birds with one stone because you also came to get your vaccine, your second one. That's awesome. And it's a personal honor for me to be able to talk to you because obviously I started my career in advertising in Mexico, in J. Walter Thompson. And I know you a lot more as a friend, but I know a lot about your career and a lot of people I admire have worked with you. So thank you for being here. Great. Thank you very much for inviting me. I wanted to start the conversation on the state of advertising today, of your perception. I, I know you've been thinking a lot about this and, and talking in, in different stages about this. But if, if we start at the beginning, what do you think is happening with advertising today in the general sense? Great question. Um, I think what's happening in advertising right now is that we are being attacked from all sides as an industry because we are like a fat cat. We have a lot of money, we get big budgets. You know, you see the Super Bowl, which and then all the press is all talking about 
the ads and how much they cost per 30 seconds and how many client, much money clients are spending. So people perceive advertising to be a very rich industry and public relations as an industry is growing and they're growing because they are taking our accounts away from us and they are hiring creative people to be uh, heads of the creative departments. PR never had creative uh, people, the account people in PR, in, in public relations. They were the ones that would come up with the ideas and get stuff written up in the newspapers. Now, since they're going after big brands and trying to help big brands get talked about in conversations, like in social media and in blogs and newspaper and on um, shows and on YouTube, uh, they need to understand how advertising works. So they're hiring advertising people to get our advertising dollars and use those dollars to then create ads and to create messaging for social media because uh, they are very good at earned media. And earned media means that you can get your story or your brand story or your content placed for free. Mm -hmm. And that's earned media. And that's what PR has always done since they were invented. Right. And in advertising, we have paid media, which means our clients and we buy space to get our message across and our way is very intrusive and people know it's an ad when they see it in the newspaper or a poster or 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 uh, you know online and public relations hides the messages within texts within editorial within bloggers within influencers so yeah. they are skilled at that and they don't it doesn't cost a lot to get your brand this uh, views for free through public relations, whereas in advertising, you've got to spend a lot of money to get that space bought. At the end of the day, they're both storytellers, right? Because yeah. I, I hear you and I, and I think, is the line blurring, right? Yes. Between being a storyteller that pays to tell that story or that earns it, we say we earn it, but it's all paid. You know, in a way, there's dollars coming out. Um, but how much is that line blurring and how much are uh, ad agencies really connecting ad agencies and PR agencies really connecting and coming together to, to tell that story. I know we have a lot uh, with a lot of our clients. Uh, we create war rooms where we say, okay, here's the idea, here's the story we want to tell, and this is how it's going to be portrayed in, in, in all this media, especially in the digital space. Well, you know, advertising, what we do and what the power we have is that we understand brands and then we write the strategy and then the creative people are the ones that come up with this thing called the big idea. Mm -hmm. And then once we have done that, we own it. And then we have a meeting with the PR people and we say, this is our big idea. And then we assume that the PR people will go have a party and do a press release. That's sort of the old perception. The old idea, yeah. That And they don't do that anymore. So they are now capable of coming up with their own big ideas. Um, and, and they want that because they understand the power of the strategy and coming up with a big idea and owning, right? Because you're on the media channels and you understand all that. So they are going after us on that is my point. So we're losing ground and we're losing people. Um, public relations is trying to become, do what advertising does very well. Mm -hmm. And again, their strength is through earned media. They know how to do it cheaper. And in cheaper, I'm talking about media dollars, not the fee. Right. right. Yeah, and a lot of like th that big idea concept um, is, 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 is funny because now we see it even working with these big media 
conglomerates, mm. right? They come with the media strategy, but the, 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 the lead up to that, to presenting their media strategy always comes with very smart thinking, to be honest, yeah. on, on what could potentially be a, a, a very big idea or a narrative to tell that story in those mediums. Uh, and at the same time, what I've been seeing, and a question I asked one time when I used to work for Omnicom, is to publishers. Where do you draw the line between being a publisher, a BuzzFeed or a Tastemade, to being somebody that's bringing a big idea to, uh, uh, to a brand. Um, so it seems that that's happening across the board, not only with PR, correct? Yes, you're totally right. And what you said about media is true. I noticed that trend 10, 15 years ago, mm -hmm. but PR is taking over. They've been able to do it well because I think they know how to tell a brand story and media agencies don't. They know how to buy media and then they hire people that understood how to do brand stories. So it's not in their DNA, whereas mm -hmm. it's in PR's DNA. Once they woke up, I think they have overtaken media companies, but I think you're totally right. The other thing I want to mention, and you were talking about it, is this blurring. And what has created this blurring is technology. And, um, you know, I'm an art director background, and I'm sure you know in production how, uh, you know, before the, when I did photography, I would hire a photographer. Uh, we would uh, bring, uh, we do car photography. We bring the car into the studio. The photographer <laughs> would have the lights and water, water, <laughs> and uh, he would know or she would know uh, to how to position light so it wouldn't be reflected in the car. And the camera cost a lot of money. This film was sent to a lab. So it was a very long and elaborate and hidden process right. that clients sort of trusted the photographer. Now clients have a thousand dollar iPhone. Movies are filmed on iPhones now that are shown in Hollywood and Sundance. So the mystery is gone. Anybody now, like I don't have to hire a photographer to take a product shot. I can just go in, put a white psych in the background, put my product there, take a picture, import it, and then make my ad. So the, the mystery is gone. And advertising, we don't have the mystery anymore. We've, we've lost it due to technology and you don't need to be specialized as an art director because there's websites like Canva where you can produce a social media ad for Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. They do it all for you and you can build PowerPoint presentations and everything. Full right? disclosure, we use that here too at Lerma. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just this mystery is gone. So advertising, we're losing, I think, a lot of our pizzazz. It's not Mad Men anymore. We don't have anything like that. Like we used to have Mad Men that really made us glorified and made us look good. Right. And what's happening, like there was a study in Britain. They do it every year. But advertising in the 1980s, I think they asked British people, do you enjoy watching TV ads? And I think it was 85% of the people said yes. Now it is 38%. Yeah, you and I were talking, uh, speaking about being intrusive or, or, or enjoying uh, the actual act of looking or consuming advertising is people now pay to not see advertising. Yes. You know, that's something I have in my head being in this business. It's, it's a strong reality I'm facing where you think you're talking to vendors or partners, I should say, platforms like Spotify or Pandora, where they have their, you know, free 
premium, you know, you know, with where we serve advertising, but then you have a big, big uh, percentage of the audience that pays to not see or hear your 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 advertising. So it's an interesting time for sure. I think what you were saying about the technique and the the mystery of of advertising, that kind of uh, magic that would happen with the camera, has also um, affected the way we price our work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we I think we have a very hard time in today's world in kind of putting uh, a price tag into what is a great idea uh, and it blurs with production and yes. the actual uh, conception of that idea. Yes, you're totally right. I remember when advertising started in the heyday, well, I mean, modern contemporary advertising in the 60s in America and Madison Avenue, mm-hmm. um, they would make the agency, if a client spent a million dollars on media, the agency would make 15% of that. And from that, they would pay their salaries rent. Now- That was the model, right? That was the model. And now that has disappeared. Now clients look at the hours people are spending on each account, and then how is that person cost per hour? And that's sort of how we, 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 we uh, judge on how much we can charge, right? By how much hours it costs for the person and the rent. Which is subjective, right? Because you could spend days working on, yeah. And and, and also though, we don't have the media dollars anymore is my point. So we've lost that 15% of a million (laughs) dollars. And now we're having to count pennies, basically. I think it's very, very hard to make money in advertising. Uh, The people that own agencies like Omnicom and WPP, they are rich because they own the media companies, the yeah. PR companies, they make it on the, back end. the production companies, and the agencies. Yeah. But if you just look at individual advertising as an industry, I, I personally think it's uh, very hard. And me as a creative director, when I was working in Canada, I was told that I had to be responsible for bringing in money in the company. I had never been told that before. Carl, you're there to win awards and do creativity and answer the brief, and that's your job. Then it changed. Play your position. Carl, yeah. yeah. Now Carl is expected, vice president's creative directors are expected to bring in business on top of supervising and doing all the creativity. So things are changing. Yeah, we're in the transition. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, I, I mean, you know, me, from a personal perspective, being in digital, I think it's very hard to be able to build a story in digital if you're not um, if you're not a hundred percent in control of where you're placing that media and how and you know the frequency and how you're telling it and who you're telling it to. I think that's something that eventually the the agencies that are successful are going to have to bring that back uh, somehow. Whether it's creative going to media, which is something that's happening, or media coming back to creative agencies as as they're told. Don't know, because like, remember I talked at the beginning, earned and paid media? Yeah, right. Yes, yeah. And uh, clients look at public relations and earned media as a great way to get a message across. And the other thing is that if you have an editorial within a, a the New York Times talking about mm-hmm. the new brand of juice from Welsh's, that doesn't, that's not advertising. That's an article talking about the brand, consumers look at it and they're not guarded. So they will allow that information to come into their brains. But when people know that it's an ad, there's a switch and they're suspicious because advertising has a bad rap right now. We need to camouflage your work then. We need to, and that's why, (laughs) yeah, but we do that though, because now in advertising, we are doing a lot of social media content. 
which we want to be shared. We want to be viral because then it's free media and we get our message out for cheap, but many people see the message, which is what PR does very well. And we're learning how to do that. Right. So, um, and clients love that. Yeah. The fact that, you know, they tell agencies, I want something viral, <laughs> I want something that people will see and hear. And it's, you know, the latest thing like on TikTok and something. So. Again, uh, that's not paid media, a lot of it. A lot of it is earned media. But then if you look on Instagram, you see paid media, which are some sponsored posts. And then you have other ones that are viral that the algorithm picks up and that shares yeah. your feed. Have you ever paid not to see advertising? No, I would never do that. Carl? No. Carl Jones has not ever never, paid? Never. I have Alexa in my house. And I voluntarily bought her because I knew that Amazon was using that to advertise. And I thought that was such a bizarre concept that I bought Alexa. I have five now, yeah. one in London and then the four here in, in Mexico City, because and I, I think it's a great way uh, to see where advertising is going. And she listens and there are key words that I say among my friends. And then I see those ads later on on my channel. So they're picking things up and items that are shown to you. Well, another confession I have to make, my name is Francisco Cárdenas and I have paid not to listen or see advertising. <laughs> oh, really? And I work in an advertising agency, yes. Well, uh, good learning though. Yeah, I'm a consumer at the end of the day. Uh, well, uh, but we need to know how to reach you then. Right. Right, which right. is earned media, not paid. So you're paying not to see ads and ads are paid media. Right. So the editorial is getting to you, the message is getting to you just in... I did see the episode of Stranger Things that was full of Coca-Colas. So I got okay. hit somehow. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to pivot a little bit the conversation because you have a super interesting project going on um, in regards to a very hot topic. Um, you know, as, as, as we were discussing earlier, yesterday was the one year anniversary, May 25th of of the killing of George Floyd, mm -hmm. which sparked not only in the United States, which is where we are now, but ac across the world, I would say, uh, a tremendous awareness about racism uh, uh, and how, uh, you know, not only of how the police handles, but how as organizations and systematic racism that exists. You have been um, uh, for several years already on a, on a on a project that that touches that mm -hmm. subject. Um, uh, I, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's very based in Mexico and what you have seen in Mexico. Um, can you tell us a little bit of what you're doing, and then I have a couple of questions to talk yeah. through? Yeah. Great. Thank you very much for bringing us to the subject, which I love. I'm very passionate about. Um, it began because when I moved to Mexico from Canada in 1993, I could not understand when I was in castings with my clients and they always picked the people that looked had European features and that lighter skin. And I knew on the streets people didn't look that way in Mexico. And I just couldn't understand and nobody could tell me why. So there's always something uh, that's been at the back of my mind. Then I started to do my master's uh, seven years ago. And uh, weird, going back to school, like- Awesome, in your, in your congratulations. Oh, thank you. But uh, my point was, is that for my thesis, I decided to find out and research why there is uh, racism in Mexican advertising. Because I think if you're in a country where 10% of the people are white, yet 90% of the advertising features white people, the question is, is why? 
Mm -hmm. So I researched that and uh, I came to the conclusion of just the Spanish coming over and just uh, the idea of religion. And there's a thing called Pinturas de Castas, which are paintings the Spanish did to classify the different races. Mm -hmm. Because racism and classism, I've discovered... When they're in colonization time. Or, yeah. Okay. And what I discovered is that racism and classism are very intertwined. They go together. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the Spanish classified... the when, when a Spanish white person marries another Spanish white person, then they are at the top of the scale. And then if uh, an indigenous person marries a white person, then they have a... They're at another level. And then the lowest... People with darker skin usually were at the bottom in their visualizations of these different. That's, that's where you have the middle, the mestizo. Yes, so, yeah. and, and mm -hmm. uh, Moreno and all that. Mm -hmm. um, mulata. But my point is, is that that still exists now. So what happens is that when you show lighter skin people, the assumption by clients and Mexicans is that they come from the higher classes because Mexico is a very classist country as well as being racist, mm -hmm. like Britain is. I agree. And uh, and so uh, that's why clients tend to pick people that look more European because it has aspirationality. So if you sell potato chips, crisps, or gum, mm -hmm. and you have lighter skinned people, the perception is, is wow, those people are eating it, I should eat that too. Mm -hmm. That's the thinking. That's the aspirational, no? Aspirational, which is very typical in Mexico. I'm sure yeah. you remember when you worked there, a lot of the strategies were that way. In America and Europe, we use it, but more for brands like Chanel and Louis Vuitton, not for crisps or <laughs> mm -hmm. gum, you know? Lexus. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so now what I'm doing is research to sort of understand uh, and, 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 and stop this type of thing happening. Is this something that always bothered you when yes. you... Yes, okay. It, it bothered me, again, just because I did not... What I believe is what you see on the street, you should reflect in advertising. Mm -hmm. It should reflect a society. I agree. Uh, did, did, did you build this critique? Did you start to build this critique from within? Uh, the advertising when you were working in Mexico or, or is this something that started after? And the reason I ask is it's sometimes hard, you know, and we talked about this podcast, right? It's hard to critique a system where you're living and making a living on. And I want to get your perspective on, on what was your strategy there. Great question. I'm, I, everything I did is organic. And luckily, I've been able to bring everything together. But when I was in advertising, I was VP creative director of BBDO in Mexico City. And uh, I started doing paintings using the ex volto style, which are religious paintings you put in churches. So uh -huh. your husband disappears in the ocean because he's on a fishing vessel. Then you do a painting to the Virgin saying, dear Virgin, help look for my husband in the ocean and bring him back. Bring him back. So I took that style and I would paint about racism. And, uh, and then I put those pictures, I put them on billboards and uh, posters around Mexico City in free spaces because of my connections in the media. Because okay. they always need, like if they didn't sell a media space, they wanted something there. So I said, well, right. I have this artwork. The PSA, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. So it was paintings that I did about racism and corruption. And I got exposure for that. And uh, so I was able to get conversations going. I can justify now after I've been trained academically with theories, but when I did it, I didn't have that training. You so were just was, a rebel. I was just painting what I felt and saw in Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I had that question about why, you know, I'd always be putting, pushing advertising campaigns that reflected Mexican holidays, Mexican culture, and Mexican looking people. Right, right. Um, 
one of my questions here um, that I had, and, and obviously I know the answer, um, but diversity and, and racism, is it real? And, and the reason I have a, that question is because it seems more real today than ever. But has has it changed? Has, has it always been present? It seems that you started this, you talked about going to Mexico in 93 mm -hmm. and already feeling this, like having this mm -hmm. observation about what was going on. But it seems that today, more than ever, it's a topic that we hear every day in our business meetings, in the hallways, when we talk to clients and when we turn on any type of media. Okay, great question. Um, I think before there were less media channels and those media channels are controlled by these famous old white men. So you have old white, well, white men owning TV channels, owning newspapers, and they're in the control of very few families. So they can control what is discussed. One is what's discussed in people's homes and the other is what's discussed in the media. So it was not discussed in the media. So the perception was that it was not a big deal but black people and people of color lived it. Mm -hmm. And Mexicans lived it, Latin Americans in America, so they, they've lived racism. Uh, and now, because we have social media and it's free media, and basically you can say anything you want, uh, we, and we can react when we see something. So if George Floyd happened 50 years ago, the media could control what was discussed and it would be in the paper one day if it got there and then it would disappear. But because we have social media, we can get our voices out so it's and been I, amplified. Is, um, yes, I guess through because of technology and, and social media. But my point is, is that 50 years ago, it was there. Just we never heard about it because we lived. I lived. I lived. Well, I was a baby, but <laughs> uh, but white people lived in a bubble and black people lived in their bubble that was controlled. Like it's like an apartheid. Right. You know? But social media, I think, has been democracy and democratizing and allowing people to have a voice in this crossover. Well, people do have a voice. What social media has done is given them a platform to broadcast their To be voice. heard, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, that brings me to, to, to a topic that I think is interesting. It's like in, 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 the, in an effort, everybody wants to do the right thing, right? I think I still believe that in this world, people have a tendency to do what they believe is the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it brings you to how, how to solve this. And you've talked, we have conversations, uh, and you've mentioned tokenism. And, 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 and another concept that I thought was interesting and I wanted to bring together in a conversation which was mental diversity. Mental diversity. Right. So there's, there's two things happening here. One is obviously, and we started, uh, before we started recording, we started talking about uh, availability of diverse talent, right? Uh, and, and then you also talk about executing, appealing to a certain audience. Do you have to be the mirror of that audience you're talking to? Or do you have to be di mental diverse enough, I guess, if that's correct, mm -hmm. to be able to connect with them? What, are, what, what do you think is happening there? What, what, what are the risks uh, our, our agencies, you know, we're seeing a lot of push, which I think is great to bring diversity to the to the board meetings to the leadership positions but i think there's also something need to be done on 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 the openness inside the mind of people to be able to connect and have empathy for others okay um very interesting uh question 
And it's more like a topic of discussion. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily that we, we nobody has the answer, right? It's yeah. just, I want to get your point of view. So I, I, okay. There's always this question about advertising. Does advertising influence society or does advertising reflect society? Mm -hmm. So there are some people that believe that advertising messages can influence the way people think. I don't think, I personally, I think the advertising reflects society. I don't think we can influence. What we do is just reinforce what people think already. So if somebody's a racist, I don't think an ad can make them not racist. It's like smoking, mm -hmm. okay, no smoking ads. When I used to see no smoking ads on television, I and my family would be like, yeah, yeah, but we didn't smoke. Right. And people that smoked would see those ads and the message would go over their heads. And I don't think that is what stopped people from smoking. It didn't connect. No. So I don't think doing an anti-racism ad speaks to racists. It speaks to anti-racists and they are like, yeah, yeah. So it reinforces their thinking, but mm -hmm. they already think that way. So I don't necessarily think that advertising can change what people think already. I don't think we're that powerful. But what about connecting? Because you were talking, you know, the the attempt in being in in, in Mexico and showing all white people to uh, okay. what was ten percent. Yes. What the assumption was that the rest, the ninety percent of of the mestizos and the diverse culture that is Mexico in, in its entirety, uh, would connect to that, would look up on to that, and would be okay. aspirational. But it doesn't happen here, right? Like if you want to talk to, uh, uh, you know, a, a black community yeah you you want to talk and, and think about what music they listen to what ticks them what what's their passion right reflect right their culture mm -hmm. and reflect back to them exactly that's what our job is in advertising is understanding a target market that's what we think anyway our strategies and our ways of thinking are looking at a target market who we're speaking to demographic psychographic analyzing it and then uh, reflecting it back to them in a creative way or looking for a trend that's within that target market group. Yes, so that's what we do. You're totally right. Yeah. Um, but to go back to what you were just saying about Mexico and stuff, um, I'm not saying, well, like I said, advertising reinforces what people think. So if people think white people uh, or European looking people are uh, from the upper classes, I don't think you can change that. However, in advertising and client side, we if we recognize that as an issue, we can sort of start creating our own set of rules and guidelines. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's sort of what I'm coming from, is that if we as an industry in Mexico, for example, we're aware now, because there are many, many studies uh, that say that um, why are you always showing indigenous people as being poor people or starving and you would never show an indigenous person as being a business owner or being successful. Mm -hmm. That is not done in Mexican advertising. Mm -hmm. So if we as agencies, when we're doing casting and we are showing a CEO, it's not looking for the blonde, blue-eyed person, which is what we normally do because we associate blonde, blue-eyed people in suits. Yes, they're good CEOs. We have that perception. They're they may be, but there are people with brown eyes, there are people with dark skin, 
uh, and black skin who could be just as good, but we never show that. And many of those blue eyes, blonde CEOs that are assholes or are just incompetent as well. So, you know, like, well, you know, there's a range of everything everywhere. Right. right? So we just need to reflect other cultures and not just look at stereotypes. Correct. So when you're showing a good a person who you think will be a good stereotype to be a president of a company, we always go for this one type and we should be including other people because then that um, gets people used to seeing that. And then you uh, will see more people uh, who are diverse in companies. Another thing, a big issue in advertising is that because a lot of the people that control or in decision making, um, they usually come from a uh, European and they look European. Mm -hmm. So when certain ads happen that cause offense, it will be detected before the ad is broadcast. So for example, there's a very famous Facebook ad from Dove that ran around five years ago. Mm -hmm. And it was for a skin cream, I think. And then there were women taking off their tops. And when they took off their top, they changed to another, they were another racial person. Mm -hmm. And it had a black woman taking off her top and she became white. And that offended a lot of people who were African-American because there's a history from a hundred years ago of ads showing a white baby with a black baby and then the white baby saying you should wash yourself with soap and then you'll be clean insinuating that dark skin is dirty so that gave a lot of african americans offense and they remember those history of those ads so if you had my point is is that if you had a person of color who was on the creative team or who was an account person they would have picked that up and then the ad would not have gone out. Right. That's all my point is. So that's why you need and to- And that's true. And that's, I think, where the narrative is today. I think that's like, if, if that person would have been in the room- Yes. It would have made you realize that you were messing up, mm -hmm. right? Um, it's like gender. Now I think we're better with gender. Now we have more women involved in upper positions. Now we need to do the same thing. And I know we need to improve how we do the pay gap and stuff, but it's still- That's a, a problem. Yeah. But it's still getting better. We need to do that same effort with people of color in advertising yeah, and not be siloed. Like it's weird for me in America that you have agencies that are owned and run by black people to do advertising to African-Americans. Then you have one for Asians and you know, in Britain, it becomes siloed again, right? It becomes siloed again. And why do you need that? We're all human. We all work together. So if we do advertising, me, uh, I used to do advertising for tampons to 13-year-old girls, and I'm definitely not a 13-year-old girl. And I could do that as a white male. So right. why can't... Comes back to empathy and understanding your target as well. And right? research, but it's, and getting rid of these stereotypes. It's not just white men that can do advertising for other people. There's many other people that can do ads for other people, you know? Yeah. So let's not use stereotypes in the business. I know we love to use stereotypes in advertising, but we don't need to hire stereotypes, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Do you think that, uh, that being the white man, European, coming from Canada, helped you in your career being in Mexico in advertising? Definitely. Do you think you had an upper hand? Totally. I totally acknowledged that I was privileged. I didn't think that way. I think that way now. Mm -hmm. But when I was arriving in Canada and I was getting attention and uh, I was getting very good jobs, I look back at my career now and I definitely believe, yes, it's because of how I looked physically and my race and my gender. Um, but I didn't, I didn't know about that. Nobody talked about it. So it was just expected. Yeah. But, and the, sorry, the books, 
movies, cinema, advertising reflected and reinforced that thinking. Totally. Exactly. It was what it was around you everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, but now the narrative has changed. So for me, competing in jobs and stuff like that, people are aware. So no, people now are aware that no, you should look for a, other gender, you should look for other races when you're hiring people for a job. So I don't think life is going to be as easy for people like myself now. Which is fine. It just gives other people opportunity. Yeah. More of a democratizer, I think. It, it levels it levels everything. Eleven field. Yeah. Um, do you get a lot of pushback, or what kind of feedback have you gotten from your colleagues or ex-colleagues in Mexico of this uh, observation and, and, and work you're doing? Um, I've had positive because the Circulo Creativo de Mexico mm -hmm. uh, that represents the creative workers in Mexico and advertising. Which now it's Gaby Paredes and yes. La Ladilla, who yes. I, I work with both of them. Oh, great. So it was great in Walter Thompson. So. Yeah, they're terrific. And they the are president. amazing. And Vero Flores, who was the past president with uh, uh, Saúl, um, they invited me to speak about it with the creative people. Oh, so great. I gave a lecture. And what I do also is speak to young people studying advertising in Mexico. I've spoken to people in the States at Syracuse, in Britain at the Royal College of Art, Liverpool College of Art, about this. So that when those young people get into the business, they are aware. And I think that's the way to do it. So I'm creating a narrative around that by presenting and I'm speaking to you today. Thank you very much. No, I'm thank able you. to get my message out. Um, and people can believe it or not, or think it's both. So you have hope in the youth? For me, yes. I think there's the saying we have in English, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Uh -huh. So yeah, why, why beat a dead horse? Let me go for the younger people who are also more aware. They're more sensitive. They're fluid. Sexually, they're fluid. Right? They're not, they're not, if they want to be a girl, they are. If they want to be a boy, if they want to be yeah, a girl. Yeah, they don't discriminate. They don't. Uh, so I think they're more open and understand this way of thinking. And they haven't, they don't have any bad habits that maybe older people may have. Of course, older people have good habits too. But <laughs> right, right. Um, I think you've, you've talked about this um, throughout our conversation, but to, to put clearly, and I know you're doing your part, you know, building this, going back to school, uh, the papers you've written, the the, the talks that you've had. Uh, but what is your proposal to fix this racism problem in our industry? What what would you do? Great. So what what this is what I'm doing now. I'm doing a doctorado or PhD mm -hmm. at the Royal College of Art in London. And my master's research was discovering why racism and classism exists in Mexican advertising. So what I'm trying to do now is look for a solution. I can't solve it, me. What I can do is create conversations and mm -hmm. like this conversation we're having now. And what I'm calling the research I'm doing now is decolonizing advertising. Because like I said, in Mexico, what causes racism and classism was colonization of the Spanish coming over, even though the Aztecs were classist. Classism existed before the Spanish. Everywhere, right? Yeah, but the, the Spanish, they introduced this concept called racism, like the British introduced it into their colonies because of capitalism. And it was a way of classifying people and putting us and then them 
it was anyway it all came from that just just as a parenthesis i thought i think a lot of our audience are gonna there's always the narrative of racism against mexicans or against black in the u.s but i think right now you've touched a point where you know i'm bringing the aztecs of also the racism that exists today in mexico yeah right like every every little world it's its own yes. world yeah yes And, and so I call it decolonizing advertising. So what I'm looking at and I'm analyzing now is where in our advertising process does this racism and classism begin? Is it in the interviews? Is it in the strategy? Is it in the casting? Is it in production? Is, is it in the design of the ad? Is it in the production, the media? I don't know. So I'm looking at that to identify those colonial rules, because that's what colonization is, is going to another group of people and imposing your rules. Your thinking, yeah. And your thinking. And so we have that in Mexico. So what I need to do is where is that in advertising? And I'm identifying them. And then what I'm looking at are alternatives so that I can then present that to the advertising community and then create a discussion there. Like I said, I can't change advertising and I'm I'm a foreigner coming into Mexico. So all I can do is have conversations and have people listen to my ideas and then they go off and they will solve it. Yeah. And um, and this is something I, uh, we talked briefly before we started this podcast and I've discussed with with Pete Lerma, my boss, who's mm. passionate uh, about diversity, equity and inclusion. But could it be that the problem is where does it start in trying to identify that it starts way earlier? That it starts in kindergarten, that mm -hmm. it starts in in elementary school, and and what we're getting when we go into that cast casting call mm -hmm. or that production is that there's no options because mm -hmm. it, it it did not start where it should have started, which is when we're young, when we're trying to build up this systematic racism has limited options for the people that should be there. Could could that be really the solve going back as far as education, oh, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like would ad agencies have to not look back to their systems, which they have to, or to even college, but even think of how am I going to make uh, the next generation of ad men and women uh, become diverse and think diverse, but starting all the way down to kindergarten and I, how do you do that I do you do a campaign you. do you do you, you sneak in teachers what <laughs> you know that have that thinking you know what 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 needs to happen it needs to happen everywhere and i think one of the biggest problems in mexico is education the government does not invest enough money in education and you will see that having an uneducated mass of people benefits the ruling class those are the people who are in charge so they want people who are dumb and people who can be manipulated. Right. So uh, luckily in more developed countries, like you have, let's say Canada, uh, you, 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 you have a system and you have a government philosophy that promotes diversity and, uh, and teaches people from school to be uh, aware of other cultures and that one culture is not superior to another. Canada's obviously very bad Acceptance. with indigenous people, yeah. but it does start in the government with that philosophy. So you need, it needs to be everywhere. It can't just be advertising, but we have to do our part. We know the world is changing. 
We've seen George Floyd, which is what you talked about, and you you recognize that George Floyd didn't just happen in the US. I was in Britain and it was there, there was a protest there, it was in other countries around Europe. So it is a global conversation, yes. And a global problem, yeah. And a global problem, so uh, we can maybe help in our industry. I'm sure other industries are having these same conversations that you're, I mean, very bravely discussing here today. Um, and that's a good thing. So hopefully, uh, with everybody doing their little bit, we can help improve society. You know, I'm a big believer in advertising for the human good. And I believe that advertising can be used not just to sell products. Advertising can be used as a way to educate and to get certain types of messaging out. For example, the Chinese government, we've seen in the news now that the Chinese government, um, China's not growing and they need to grow. And they've been telling their citizens to have one baby. They can't have more. Mm -hmm. So now China has to do an advertising campaign to convince their citizens to have more babies. I've heard that. Yes. Yeah. I so, remember when I was a kid, he was like, ah, they only have one kid. And now, now they have a problem. Well, they, and, and so, but my point is, is that they need to do advertising to get the message out with some PR. And uh, that's what we, advertising does. It gets messages out. It's not just to sell a Coca-Cola. Governments use average during COVID. The British government did an amazing campaign on educating people. Once the British government got its act together, of course, um, the American government, once the government changed, then we got, uh, you know, Biden in there. His message got out very, very quickly. And then the vaccines were out, you know, so and they use advertising to get it out. And they have CVS, which is going out and giving vaccinations. It's capitalism that's working, not just the government. Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the most successful uh, episodes of this podcast was a question that we genuinely had at the beginning of, of this pandemic last year, which was, what is our role as ad agencies? And it goes aligned with what you're saying, right? Like, it's not just selling products. It's like, we have a communication role, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's educating, creating awareness, uh, you know, wh whatever it is. I cannot be more thankful. Is there any other final thoughts that you have? So uh, thank you very much, Pancho. Um, so I want to say that advertising exists, not just in capitalism, advertising exists in different ideologies. North Korea has advertising. They don't have advertising the way we do it, but they still need to get messages out to their people. And communism has advertising, fascism. So please. Propaganda or? Well, it's advertising. Yeah. And then we in the West do it. America does uh, advertising to sell its country. And it's what the Chinese would call propaganda, but America wouldn't say that because in our language, propaganda has taken on this evil meaning. Negative, yeah. But America used to have a Department of Propaganda in the 1920s that Edward Bernays, who was the head of, who was the nephew of uh, Sigmund Freud, ran. I did not know that. Yeah, okay. and, he and he designed a propaganda campaign to promote consumerism. So yeah, it's all it's very interesting subject. So I just think it's very important for people to realize that advertising is not capitalism. Advertising is advertising, and it works in different ideologies. That, that's sort of my main message there. But thank you very much. I love it. And uh, in Twitter, I'm Carl with a C, uh, W Jones, the letters UK for United Kingdom, MX for Mexico, and the number one. So it's Carl W Jones UK MX one, and you can follow me on Twitter. Well, uh, it has been truly enlightening to hear you, to hear your points of view. I am, I am very thankful. Um, this has been Sir Carl Jones on Loud and Clear. <laughs> if, if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, 
please scroll down and subscribe or follow. You can also leave us comments or rate us. Uh, we're also on Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart, Google Podcasts, so make sure you look for us. Loud and Clear is the name of the podcast. It's by Lerma. If you like what you hear, please share with your colleagues and friends. We are on a mission to get the word out, especially if you're in advertising or marketing. It really affects everybody, you know, families, as, as Carl put it. Check out our website, lermaagency.com, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Loud and Clear. Thank you very much. Thank you, Carl, again. Thank you very much.